Third Nephi, Chapter 1. It appears at this point that Mormon the historian is trying to condense this history so he will have adequate space for the ministry of Christ. In fact, in this chapter, he covers four years and twenty historical developments. Now it came to pass that the ninety and first year had passed away, and it was six hundred years from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem. And it was in the year that Laconius was the chief judge and the governor over the land. Obviously, this was a critical year. It was now six hundred years since Lehi had left Jerusalem, and Lehi had been told that after that time the Messiah would be born. And Nephi, the son of Helaman, had departed out of the land of Zarahemla, giving charge unto his son Nephi, who was his eldest son, concerning the plates of brass, and all the records which had been kept, and all those things which had been kept sacred from the departure of Lehi out of Jerusalem. Then he departed out of the land, and whither he went no man knoweth. And his son Nephi did keep the records in his stead, yea, the record of this people. Two important developments have been recorded in these verses. First of all, the sacred Nephite library and all the Nephite artifacts have been turned over to Nephi the third by his father. And his father has disappeared, just as Alma did, and it is supposed that each of them had been translated. And it came to pass that in the commencement of the ninety and second year, behold, the prophecies of the prophets began to be fulfilled more fully, for there began to be greater signs and greater miracles wrought among the people. It says that there were certain signs and miracles that were beginning to be fulfilled, but we are not told what they were. But there were some who began to say that the time was past for the words to be fulfilled, which were spoken by Samuel the Lamanite. And they began to rejoice over their brethren, saying, Behold, the time is past, and the words of Samuel are not fulfilled. Therefore your joy and your faith concerning this thing hath been vain. Samuel had said that after five years the birth of Christ would occur, and there would be a day and a night and a day with no darkness. And it came to pass that they did make a great uproar throughout the land, and the people who believed began to be very sorrowful, lest by any means those things which had been spoken might not come to pass. But behold, they did watch steadfastly for that day and that night and that day, which should be as one day as if there were no night, that they might know that their faith had not been vain. Certainly the sign promised by Samuel the Lamanite would be so dramatic that all the people had to do was to be patient. But the non-believers were so anxious to discredit the believers that they created a virtual uproar of protest against anyone who still believed the sign would be fulfilled. Now it came to pass that there was a day set apart by the unbelievers, that all those who believed in those traditions should be put to death, except the sign should come to pass, which had been given by Samuel the prophet. In fact, the non-believers became so fanatical that they wanted to set a deadline, so that anybody who still believed the sign would yet be given would be executed, 
if it did not occur by the date which they arbitrarily selected. Now it came to pass that when Nephi, the son of Nephi, saw this wickedness of his people, his heart was exceedingly sorrowful. And it came to pass that he went out and bowed himself down upon the earth, and cried mightily to his God in behalf of his people, yea, those who were about to be destroyed because of their faith in the tradition of their fathers. And it came to pass that he cried mightily unto the Lord all the day. Even though Nephi was president of the church, he did not have his prayers immediately answered. Notice that he prayed mightily to the Lord that entire day. A portrayal of Nephi pleading with the Lord will be found on page 223 of volume 3 of Treasures of the Book of Mormon. And behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, Lift up your head, and be of good cheer, for behold, the time is at hand, and on this night shall the sign be given. And on the morrow come I into the world, to show unto the world that I will fulfill all that which I have caused to be spoken by the mouth of my holy prophets. What a sensational revelation from the Lord this turned out to be for Nephi. He had been promised that on the morrow the Savior would come into the earth to fulfill his great destiny, and to Nephi's great relief, the Savior said that this night the sign would be given. This meant two things. First of all, that night there would be no darkness. And this very day Nephi had been praying was the first day of the day and the night without darkness Samuel had been promising. Behold. I come unto my own, to fulfill all things which I have made known unto the children of men from the foundation of the world, and to do the will both of the Father and of the Son, of the Father because of me, and of the Son because of my flesh. And behold, the time is at hand. And this night shall the sign be given. And it came to pass that the words which came unto Nephi were fulfilled according as they had been spoken. For behold, at the going down of the sun there was no darkness, and the people began to be astonished because there was no darkness when the night came. And there were many who had not believed the words of the prophets, who fell to the earth and became as if they were dead, for they knew that the great plan of destruction which they had laid for those who believed in the words of the prophets had been frustrated, for the sign which had been given was already at hand. The night without darkness was not only a literal and thrilling fulfillment of the prophecy by Samuel the Lamanite, but it came as a frightening shock treatment to many of the non-believers that they had not only been wrong, but that before long the great destruction which Samuel had predicted in Helaman chapter 14, verses 20 to 29, would accompany the death of Jesus. These emotionally unstable people fell to the ground as though the destruction was already upon them. And this gripping impact not only struck down the people in the land southward, but it had the same effect on the entire continent, including the land northward. 
and they began to know that the Son of God must shortly appear, yea, in fine, all the people upon the face of the whole earth from the west to the east, both in the land north and in the land south, were so exceedingly astonished that they fell to the earth, for they knew that the prophets had testified of these things for many years, and that the sign which had been given was already at hand, and they began to fear because of their iniquity and their unbelief. And it came to pass that there was no darkness in all that night, but it was as light as though it was midday. And it came to pass that the sun did rise in the morning again according to its proper order, and they knew that it was the day that the Lord should be born, because of the sign which had been given. In times past, primitive people had been reported to panic when an eclipse of the sun occurred. One can well imagine the reaction of the people when the sun went down and yet the light continued. And it had come to pass, yea, all things, every whit, according to the words of the prophets. And it came to pass also that a new star did appear, according to the word. Apparently it was the following night that a huge, beautiful star appeared in the heavens, just as Samuel had predicted in Helaman chapter 14, verse 5. And it came to pass that from this time forth there began to be lyings sent forth among the people by Satan to harden their hearts, to the intent that they might not believe in those signs and wonders which they had seen. But notwithstanding these lyings and deceivings, the more part of the people did believe and were converted unto the Lord. And it came to pass that Nephi went forth among the people, and also many others, baptizing unto repentance, in the which there was a great remission of sins. And thus the people began again to have peace in the land. It is interesting that the followers of Satan had received promptings that all of these new phenomena were just tricks, and no one should pay any attention to them. Nevertheless, it was too overwhelming to be told that it was just a trick. The majority of the people had not only believed in the reliability of what they had witnessed, but they were converted back to their true religion. This was a glorious time for Nephi as he went among the people jubilantly happy and rejoicing in the literal fulfillment of everything Samuel the Lamanite had predicted. And there were no contentions, save it were a few that began to preach, endeavoring to prove by the scriptures that it was no more expedient to observe the law of Moses. Now in this thing they did err, having not understood the scriptures. But it came to pass that they soon became converted, and were convinced of the error which they were in. For it was made known unto them that the law was not yet fulfilled, and that it must be fulfilled in every whit. Yea, the word came unto them that it must be fulfilled. Yea, that one jot or tittle should not pass away till it should all be fulfilled. Therefore in this same year, were they brought to a knowledge of their error and did confess their faults. It is typical of human nature to have the more radical fringe take it upon themselves to abandon the law of Moses when so many sensational events seem to harbinger a new religion. 
It must have been a real challenge to Nephi to get these people to realize that the birth of Christ did not cancel out the law of Moses, and that its purpose was not yet fulfilled. And thus the ninety and second year did pass away, bringing glad tidings unto the people because of the signs which did come to pass, according to the words of the prophecy of all the holy prophets. Once the majority of the people had settled down to accept both the reality and the significance of all that had occurred, one would have hoped that there would be a season of peace. It started out that way, but it did not last long. And it came to pass that the ninety and third year did also pass away in peace, save it were for the Gadianton robbers who dwelt upon the mountains, who did infest the land, for so strong were their holes and their secret places that the people could not overpower them. Therefore they did commit many murders and did do much slaughter among the people. And it came to pass that in the ninety and fourth year they began to increase in great degree, because there were many dissenters of the Nephites who did flee unto them, which did cause much sorrow unto those Nephites who did remain in the land. As in the days of Cain, Lucifer used a murder cult to divert the people and pervert the Nephite civilization. It is amazing how rapidly the whole Nephite civilization began to let greed and a lust for power sweep away their recent conversion. And the people of Samuel the Lamanite began to crumble under the same lust for greed and power. And there was also a cause of much sorrow among the Lamanites. For behold, they had many children who did grow up and began to wax strong in years, that they became for themselves, and were led away by some who were Zoramites by their lyings and their flattering words to join those Gadianton robbers. And thus were the Lamanites afflicted also, and began to decrease as to their faith and righteousness because of the wickedness of the rising generation. Third Nephi chapter 2 And it came to pass that thus passed away the ninety and fifth year also, and the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts and blind in their minds, and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen. Sometimes the fluctuations of the human mind are truly astonishing. Here it was only 4 A.D., and many of the people had already convinced themselves that the tangible experience of witnessing a day and a night and a day without any darkness may have just been a delusion. Imagining up some vain thing in their hearts, that it was wrought by men and by the power of the devil to lead away and deceive the hearts of the people. And thus did Satan get possession of the hearts of the people again, insomuch that he did blind their eyes and lead them away to believe that the doctrine of Christ was a foolish and a vain thing. What was worse, many of the people were listening to the whisperings of Satan and attributing what they had experienced not only to a delusion, but to the manipulation of their minds by evil men working in combination with Satan. And it came to pass that the people began to wax strong in wickedness and abominations, 
and they did not believe that there should be any more signs or wonders given. And Satan did go about leading away the hearts of the people, tempting them, and causing them that they should do great wickedness in the land. And no sooner did they satisfy their minds that what they had seen was an evil delusion, but a spirit of wickedness began to spread among the people like a prairie fire. And thus did pass away the ninety and sixth year, and also the ninety and seventh year, and also the ninety and eighth year, and also the ninety and ninth year. And also an hundred years had passed away since the days of Mosiah, who was king over the people of the Nephites. And six hundred and nine years had passed away since Lehi left Jerusalem. Now it is from this point that we feel Mormon the historian is working directly from the plates and not using an outline or a rough draft. We notice that he will designate a particular year on the plates, and then after reviewing it and finding nothing worth mentioning, he will continue. And nine years had passed away from the time when the sign was given, which was spoken of by the prophets, that Christ should come into the world. Mormon suddenly realizes that the Nephites are no longer numbering events in terms of the year of the judges, but they are fixing events in terms of the number of years since the day and the night and the day without darkness. And, of course, that was the time of Christ's birth. Now the Nephites began to reckon their time from this period, when the sign was given, or from the coming of Christ. Therefore nine years had passed away. And Nephi, who was the father of Nephi, who had the charge of the records, did not return to the land of Zarahemla, and could nowhere be found in all the land. Apparently Nephi made a point of the fact that after nine years his father had never been seen again. It was exactly the way it had been with Alma around 73 B.C. He turned over the sacred Nephite library and artifacts to Helaman, then walked out of Zarahemla toward Melech, and was never heard of again. That's described in Alma chapter 45, verse 18. Now, both Alma and Nephi's father were thought to have been translated just as had happened to Moses. And it came to pass that the people did still remain in wickedness, notwithstanding the much preaching and prophesying which was sent among them. And thus passed away the tenth year also, and the eleventh year also passed away in iniquity. Notice how Mormon is checking the record year by year, and then proceeding and thumbing his way through looking for something of special significance. Now we come to a terrible war with the Gadiantans. And it came to pass in the thirteenth year, there began to be wars and contentions throughout all the land. For the Gadianton robbers had become so numerous, and did slay so many of the people, and did lay waste so many cities, and did spread so much death and carnage throughout the land, that it became expedient that all the people, both the Nephites and the Lamanites, should take up arms against them. Therefore, all the Lamanites who had become converted unto the Lord did unite with their brethren, the Nephites, and were compelled for the safety of their lives and their women and their children to take up arms against those Gadianton robbers, yea, and also to maintain their rights and the privileges of their church and of their worship and their freedom and their liberty. 
And it came to pass that before this thirteenth year had passed away, the Nephites were threatened with utter destruction because of this war, which had become exceedingly sore. And it came to pass that those Lamanites who had united with the Nephites were numbered among the Nephites, and their curse was taken from them, and their skin became white like unto the Nephites, and their young men and their daughters became exceedingly fair, and they were numbered among the Nephites and were called Nephites. And thus ended the thirteenth year. All of this was virtually miraculous. This physical change in the Lamanites was most unusual. None of the Lamanites who had become converts in the past are known to have had their physical change take place. But after getting this good news about the Lamanites, we get nothing but bad news concerning the war with the Gadiantans. In the next verse there was a temporary gain, but it didn't last long. And it came to pass in the commencement of the fourteenth year, the war between the robbers and the people of Nephi did continue and did become exceedingly sore. Nevertheless, the people of Nephi did gain some advantage of the robbers, insomuch that they did drive them back out of their lands into the mountains and into their secret places. And thus ended the fourteenth year. And in the fifteenth year they did come forth against the people of Nephi, and because of the wickedness of the people of Nephi and their many contentions and dissensions, the Gadianton robbers did gain many advantages over them. All of this must have seemed desolating to Nephi and the faithful believers. It almost seemed as though the nation was on the verge of complete self-destruction. And thus ended the fifteenth year. And thus were the people in a state of many afflictions, and the sword of destruction did hang over them, insomuch that they were about to be smitten down by it, and this because of their iniquity. Third Nephi chapter 3 With all of the dissensions and disputations going on among the Nephites, it is rather astonishing that they had elected a strong religious-oriented governor. His name was Laconius. And now it came to pass that in the sixteenth year from the coming of Christ, Laconius, the governor of the land, received an epistle from the leader and the governor of this band of robbers, the righteous judge Laconius received a rather amazing letter from the supreme commander of the Gadianton robbers. The letter started out with a classical example of the, quote, flattering words, unquote, that criminally-minded confidence schemers are experts in using. And these were the words which were written, saying, Laconius, most noble and chief governor of the land, behold, I write this epistle unto you, and do give unto you exceeding great praise, because of your firmness, and also the firmness of your people, in maintaining that which ye suppose to be your right and liberty. Yea, ye do stand well, as if ye were supported by the hand of a god, in the defense of your liberty, and your property, and your country or that which ye do call so. And it seemeth a pity unto me, most noble Laconius, that ye should be so foolish and vain as to suppose that ye can stand against so many brave men who are at my command, who do now at this time stand in their arms, and do await with great anxiety for the word, Go down upon the Nephites and destroy them. 
The robber leader then tried to justify the rabid hatred which the Gadianton robbers have developed toward the main body of Nephites. And I, knowing of their unconquerable spirit, having proved them in the field of battle, and knowing of their everlasting hatred towards you because of the many wrongs which ye have done unto them, therefore, if they should come down against you, they would visit you with utter destruction. Therefore, I have written this epistle, sealing it with mine own hand, feeling for your welfare because of your firmness in that which ye believe to be right, and your noble spirit in the field of battle. Now the Gadian chieftain is ready to make his extraordinary demands on the main body of the Nephites. Therefore I write unto you, desiring that ye would yield up unto this my people your cities, your lands, and your possessions, rather than that they should visit you with the sword and that destruction should come upon you. Or in other words, yield yourselves up unto us, and unite with us, and become acquainted with our secret works, and become our brethren, that ye may be like unto us, not our slaves, but our brethren and partners of all our substance. Having made his insufferable demands, the Gadianton leader now returns to his, quote, flattering words to reassure Laconius that the robbers really mean no harm to them, but want to make them partners in their crimes. They will share the loot of their murders and robberies. And behold, I swear unto you, if ye will do this with an oath, ye shall not be destroyed. But if ye will not do this, I swear unto you with an oath, that on the morrow month I will command that my armies shall come down against you, and they shall not stay their hand, and shall spare not, but shall slay you, and shall let fall the sword upon you even until ye shall become extinct. The Gadianton robber now discloses his name and makes his last threatening demands upon Laconius before he closes his letter. The robber chieftain is named Gideonhai. And behold, I am Gideonhai, and I am the governor of this, the secret society of Gadianton, which society and the works thereof I know to be good, and they are of ancient date, and they have been handed down unto us. And I write this epistle unto you, Laconius, and I hope that ye will deliver up your lands and your possessions without the shedding of blood, that this my people may recover their rights and government, who have dissented away from you because of your wickedness in retaining from them their rights of government. And except ye do this, I will avenge their wrongs. I am Gideon High. Now we learn what kind of a man Laconius turns out to be. He is a magnificent leader. And now it came to pass, when Laconius received this epistle, he was exceedingly astonished because of the boldness of Gideonhai, demanding the possession of the land of the Nephites, and also of threatening the people and avenging the wrongs of those that had received no wrong, save it were they had wronged themselves, by dissenting away unto those wicked and abominable robbers. Now behold, this Laconius the governor was a just man, and could not be frightened by the demands and the threatenings of a robber, 
Therefore he did not hearken to the epistle of Gideonhai, the governor of the robbers, but he did cause that his people should cry unto the Lord for strength against the time that the robbers should come down against them. The Gadianton robbers were soon to learn that Governor Laconius was not intimidated in the slightest degree by the letter from Gideonhai. Perhaps Laconius knew that someday there would be a real showdown between the robbers and the Nephites, and he had a plan should this ever happen. It turned out to be a very big plan. Yea, he sent a proclamation among all the people that they should gather together their women and their children, their flocks and their herds, and all their substance, save it were their land, unto one place. And he caused that fortification should be built round about them, and the strength thereof should be exceeding great. And he caused that armies, both of the Nephites and of the Lamanites, or of all them who were numbered among the Nephites, should be placed as guards round about to watch them, and to guard them from the robbers day and night. Yea, he said unto them, As the Lord liveth, except ye repent of all your iniquities, and cry unto the Lord, ye will in no wise be delivered out of the hands of those Gadianton robbers. And so great and marvelous were the words and prophecies of Laconius, that they did cause fear to come upon all the people, and they did exert themselves in their might to do according to the words of Laconius. Never before in the history of the Nephites had such extreme measures been taken to guard the lives of the people. Notice that Laconius was willing to sacrifice lands, cities, standing crops, and farm equipment in order to save the lives of his people. Laconius assigned the leadership and military training to the finest Nephite commander named Gidgahoni. The armies were disciplined and prepared for all-out war and hand-to-hand combat. And it came to pass that Laconius did appoint chief captains over all the armies of the Nephites to command them at the time that the robbers should come down out of the wilderness against them. Now the chiefest among all the captains and the great commander of the armies of the Nephites was appointed, and his name was Gid-Gadoni. It was among the Nephite customs to never choose for their military leaders common men like themselves. In fact, they reached out to put their armies under the most spiritual and inspired men they could find among their military forces. And that is how Gid-Gadoni happened to be chosen. Notice that Gidgahoni, as the chief commander of the Nephites, was a prophet with a spirit of revelation to guide him. Now it was the custom among all the Nephites to appoint for their chief captains, save it were in their times of wickedness, someone that had the spirit of revelation and also prophecy. Therefore this Gidgadoni was a great prophet among them, as also was the chief judge. Leaders can always expect a vast array of suggestions coming from all sides on how to run a war. In fact, the military men that rallied around Gidgahoni started out by giving him the worst possible advice. Now the people said unto Gidgadoni, Pray unto the Lord, and let us go up upon the mountains and into the wilderness, that we may fall upon the robbers and destroy them in their own lands. Gidgahoni made it very clear who was in charge and whose plans he would be following. 
That's the advantage of having a prophet in charge of a military operation with the Lord dictating the tactics that should be used. But Gidgadoni saith unto them, The Lord forbid, for if we should go up against them, the Lord would deliver us into their hands. Therefore we will prepare ourselves in the center of our lands, and we will gather all our armies together, and we will not go against them, but we will wait till they shall come against us. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, if we do this, he will deliver them into our hands. This was the most fantastic gathering of the Nephite people, with all their resources designed to support them and their families for at least seven years. And it came to pass in the seventeenth year, in the latter end of the year, the proclamation of Laconius had gone forth throughout all the face of the land, and they had taken their horses and their chariots and their cattle and all their flocks and their herds and their grain and all their substance, and did march forth by thousands and by tens of thousands, until they had all gone forth to the place which had been appointed, that they should gather themselves together to defend themselves against their enemies. And the land which was appointed was the land of Zarahemla, and the land which was between the land of Zarahemla and the land bountiful, yea, to the line which was between the land bountiful and the land desolation. The Nephites were completely surrounded by their enemies. In this desperate situation, Laconius, the chief judge and president of the church, went out among the people and prophesied what would happen to the people if they continued their wicked ways and lost the war. Laconius then taught the people how to plead with the Lord for their deliverance. Meanwhile, he had every man clad in strong armor and taught the people how to handle the weapons of war. And there were a great many thousand people who were called Nephites, who did gather themselves together in this land. Now Laconius did cause that they should gather themselves together in the land southward, because of the great curse which was upon the land northward. And they did fortify themselves against their enemies, and they did dwell in one land and in one body. And they did fear the words which had been spoken by Laconius, insomuch that they did repent of all their sins. And they did put up their prayers unto the Lord their God, that he would deliver them in the time that their enemies should come down against them to battle. And they were exceedingly sorrowful because of their enemy. And Gidgadoni did cause that they should make weapons of war of every kind, and they should be strong with armor, and with shields, and with bucklers, after the manner of his instruction. Third Nephi chapter 4 In 1680, Gadianhi had threatened to wage war the very next month if the Nephites did not surrender. However, when he saw the Nephites abandoning their border cities and gathering to Zarahemla and Bountiful, he may have considered it a gradual capitulation. At least he did not attack for two years. And it came to pass that in the latter end of the eighteenth year, those armies of robbers had prepared for battle, and began to come down and to sally forth from the hills, and out of the mountains, and the wilderness, and their strongholds, and their secret places, and began to take possession of the lands, 
both which were in the land south and which were in the land north, and began to take possession of all the lands which had been deserted by the Nephites and the cities which had been left desolate. The Gadians did not make an all-out attack on the Nephites, but sallied forth from one deserted city after another. But behold, there were no wild beasts nor game in those lands which had been deserted by the Nephites, and there was no game for the robbers save it were in the wilderness. The great shock was that all of these cities were totally desolate. The Nephites had practiced a scorched-earth policy and left nothing behind them on which the robbers could survive. And the robbers could not exist, save it were in the wilderness, for the want of food. For the Nephites had left their lands desolate, and had gathered their flocks and their herds and all their substance, and they were in one body. Therefore there was no chance for the robbers to plunder and to obtain food, save it were to come up in open battle against the Nephites. And the Nephites being in one body and having so great a number, and having reserved for themselves provisions and horses and cattle and flocks of every kind, that they might subsist for the space of seven years, in the which time they did hope to destroy the robbers from off the face of the land. And thus the eighteenth year did pass away. It is amazing that the Nephites had provided themselves with enough provisions to last seven years. No doubt they planned to ration their food during seasons of attack, but replenishing them in times of peace. The Gadians apparently spent many months exploring for food, and when they could not find any, they became desperate. They decided to make an all-out attack on the Nephites in order to survive. And it came to pass that in the nineteenth year Gideonhi found that it was expedient that he should go up to battle against the Nephites. For there was no way that they could subsist, save it were to plunder and rob and murder. And they durst not spread themselves upon the face of the land, insomuch that they could raise grain, lest the Nephites should come upon them and slay them. Therefore Gideonhi gave commandment unto his armies that in this year, they should go up to battle against the Nephites. And it came to pass that they did come up to battle, and it was in the sixth month. And behold, great and terrible was the day that they did come up to battle. And they were girded about after the manner of robbers, and they had a lamb's skin about their loins, and they were dyed in blood, and their heads were shorn, and they had headplates upon them, and great and terrible was the appearance of the armies of Gideonhi, because of their armor, and because of their being dyed in blood. And it came to pass that the armies of the Nephites, when they saw the appearance of the army of Gideonhi, had all fallen to the earth, and did lift their cries to the Lord their God, that he would spare them and deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. The ferocious appearance of the robbers led the Nephites to fall to the ground in supplication to God, but this was mistaken by the robbers and thought they were surrendering. And it came to pass that when the armies of Gideonhi saw this, they began to shout with a loud voice because of their joy, for they had supposed that the Nephites had fallen with fear because of the terror of their armies. But in this thing they were disappointed, for the Nephites did not fear them. But they did fear their God, and did supplicate Him for protection. 
Therefore, when the armies of Gideonhai did rush upon them, they were prepared to meet them. Yea, in the strength of the Lord they did receive them. This turned out to be the worst slaughter in the history of the Nephites. In the process, neither side took prisoners, but they slew all who came in their way. And the battle commenced in this the sixth month. And great and terrible was the battle thereof, yea, great and terrible was the slaughter thereof, insomuch that there never was known so great a slaughter among all the people of Lehi since he left Jerusalem. And notwithstanding the threatenings and the oaths which Gideonhai had made, behold, the Nephites did beat them, insomuch that they did fall back from before them. And it came to pass that Gidgadoni commanded that his army should pursue them as far as the borders of the wilderness, and that they should not spare any that should fall into their hands by the way. And thus they did pursue them, and did slay them to the borders of the wilderness, even until they had fulfilled the commandment of Gidgadoni. As the struggle wore on, Gideonhai the Gadian leader found himself in the way of the advancing Nephite army, he knew he was doomed. And it came to pass that Gideonhai, who had stood and fought with boldness, was pursued as he fled. And being weary because of his much fighting, he was overtaken and slain. And thus was the end of Gideonhai the robber. And it came to pass that the armies of the Nephites did return again to their places of security. And it came to pass that this nineteenth year did pass away, and the robbers did not come again to battle. Neither did they come again in the twentieth year. And in the twenty and first year they did not come up to battle, but they came up on all sides to lay siege round about the people of Nephi. For they did suppose that if they should cut off the people of Nephi from their lands, and should hem them in on every side, and if they should cut them off from all their outward privileges, that they could cause them to yield themselves up according to their wishes. After two years of peace and the selection of a new leader, the robbers became so desperate that they decided to lay siege to the Nephites once more. This was a disastrous decision. Now they had appointed unto themselves another leader, whose name was Zemnarihah. Therefore it was Zemnarihah that did cause that this siege should take place. But behold, this was an advantage to the Nephites, for it was impossible for the robbers to lay siege sufficiently long to have any effect upon the Nephites, because of their much provision which they had laid up in store. Because of the scantiness of provisions among the robbers, for behold, they had nothing save it were meat for their subsistence, which meat they did obtain in the wilderness. When it turned out that the robbers could not survive while laying siege to the Nephites, they would go back into their wilderness and try to survive on the wild game. But that could not go on forever either. And it came to pass that the wild game became scarce in the wilderness, insomuch that the robbers were about to perish with hunger. And the Nephites were continually marching out by day and by night, and falling upon their armies, and cutting them off by thousands and by tens of thousands. Thus it became the desire of the people of Zemnarihah to withdraw from their design because of the great destruction which came upon them by night and by day. And it came to pass that Zemnarihah did give command unto his people that they should withdraw themselves from the siege 
and march into the furthermost parts of the land northward. And now Gidgadoni, being aware of their design, and knowing of their weakness because of the want of food, and the great slaughter which had been made among them, therefore he did send out his armies in the night time, and did cut off the way of their retreat, and did place his armies in the way of their retreat. And this did they do in the night time, and got on their march beyond the robbers, so that on the morrow when the robbers began their march, they were met by the armies of the Nephites both in their front and in their rear. And the robbers who were on the south were also cut off in their places of retreat. And all these things were done by command of Gidgadoni. This was a decisive victory, and it changed everything. And there were many thousands who did yield themselves up prisoners unto the Nephites, and the remainder of them were slain. And their leader, Zemnarihah, was taken and hanged upon a tree, yea, even upon the top thereof, until he was dead. And when they had hanged him until he was dead, they did fell the tree to the earth, and did cry with a loud voice, saying, May the Lord preserve his people in righteousness and in holiness of heart, that they may cause to be felled to the earth all who shall seek to slay them because of power and secret combinations, even as this man hath been felled to the earth. And they did rejoice and cry again with one voice, saying, May the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob Protect this people in righteousness, so long as they shall call on the name of their God for protection. It is understandable how the Nephites must have felt to be suddenly relieved of the constant threat of the robbers, which had forced them to live in a state of impending siege. The scriptures describes the spirit of exultant celebration which spread throughout Zarahemla and Bountiful. And it came to pass that they did break forth all as one in singing and praising their God for the great thing which he had done for them, in preserving them from falling into the hands of their enemies. Yea, they did cry, Hosanna to the Most High God! And they did cry, Blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty, the Most High God! And their hearts were swollen with joy, unto the gushing out of many tears, because of the great goodness of God in delivering them out of the hands of their enemies. And they knew it was because of their repentance and their humility that they had been delivered from an everlasting destruction. Third Nephi chapter 5 The cleansing impact of the terrible war with the Gadiantans was phenomenal. The first three verses of this chapter made it all worthwhile. And now behold, there was not a living soul among all the people of the Nephites who did doubt in the least the words of all the holy prophets who had spoken. For they knew that it must needs be that they must be fulfilled. And they knew that it must be expedient that Christ had come because of the many signs which had been given according to the words of the prophets. And because of the things which had come to pass already, they knew that it must needs be that all things should come to pass, according to that which had been spoken. The clear-cut policies of the Nephite leaders in dealing with the surviving Gadians could be a lesson for the leaders of all nations in any age. Therefore, they did forsake all their sins, 
and their abominations and their whoredoms, and did serve God with all diligence day and night. And now it came to pass that when they had taken all the robbers prisoners, insomuch that none did escape who were not slain, they did cast their prisoners into prison, and did cause the word of God to be preached unto them. And as many as would repent of their sins and enter into a covenant that they would murder no more, were set at liberty. But as many as there were who did not enter into a covenant, and who did still continue to have those secret murders in their hearts, yea, as many as were found breathing out threatenings against their brethren, were condemned and punished according to the law. And thus they did put an end to all those wicked and secret and abominable combinations, in the which there was so much wickedness and so many murders committed. It seems very apparent from the next few verses that Mormon is flipping the plates from year to year looking for events which the Spirit tells him to record. As we have mentioned earlier, he seems to be writing under great pressure and without any outline or even a rough draft. And thus had the twenty and second year passed away, and the twenty and third year also, and the twenty and fourth, and the twenty and fifth, and thus had twenty and five years passed away. And there had many things transpired, which in the eyes of some would be great and marvelous. Nevertheless, they cannot all be written in this book. Yea, this book cannot contain even a hundredth part of what was done among so many people in the space of twenty and five years. But behold, there are records which do contain all the proceedings of this people and a shorter but true account was given by Nephi. Mormon is about to tell us that he has run out of plates and is apparently making this writing on plates which he has made himself. Therefore I have made my record of these things according to the record of Nephi, which was engraven on the plates which were called the plates of Nephi. Now Mormon wants to tell us something about himself and the records from which he has been making this account. And behold, I do make the record on plates which I have made with mine own hands. And behold, I am called Mormon, being called after the land of Mormon, the land in which Alma did establish the church among the people, yea, the first church which was established among them after their transgression. Behold, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have been called of him to declare his word among his people, that they might have everlasting life. And it hath become expedient that I, according to the will of God, that the prayers of those who have gone hence, who were the holy ones, should be fulfilled according to their faith, should make a record of these things which have been done, yea, a small record of that which hath taken place from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem, even down until the present time. Therefore I do make my record from the accounts which have been given by those who were before me, until the commencement of my day. Eventually Mormon will reach the end of past history, and then he says he will testify of things which he has experienced and which he has seen with his own eyes. It is interesting that in verse 18 he says there are some things which according to our language we are not able to write. We don't know whether this is referring to Hebrew or Egyptian. 
In any event, when he tries to record some of the prayers and teachings of Jesus, he will say, quote, it cannot be written, period, unquote. And then I do make a record of the things which I have seen with mine own eyes. And I know the record which I make to be a just and a true record. Nevertheless, there are many things which, according to our language, we are not able to write. And now I make an end of my saying which is of myself, and proceed to give my account of the things which have been before me. Having commented on his record-keeping duties, Mormon goes back to say more about himself and the Nephite saga. I am Mormon, and a pure descendant of Lehi. I have reason to bless my God and my Savior, Jesus Christ, that he brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem, and no one knew it save it were himself and those whom he brought out of that land, and that he hath given me and my people so much knowledge unto the salvation of our souls. Surely he hath blessed the house of Jacob, and hath been merciful unto the seed of Joseph, and inasmuch as the children of Lehi have kept his commandments, he hath blessed them and prospered them according to his word. Yea, and surely shall he again bring a remnant of the seed of Joseph to the knowledge of the Lord their God. As Mormon looks down the vista of time, either by vision or from his study of the scriptures, he knows the house of Israel will be gathered in the latter days to be taught all about Jesus Christ and his plan of salvation. And as surely as the Lord liveth, will he gather in from the four quarters of the earth all the remnant of the seed of Jacob, who are scattered abroad upon all the face of the earth. And as he hath covenanted with all the house of Jacob, even so shall the covenant wherewith he hath covenanted with the house of Jacob be fulfilled in his own due time, unto the restoring all the house of Jacob unto the knowledge of the covenant that he hath covenanted with them. And then shall they know their Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then shall they be gathered in from the four quarters of the earth unto their own lands, from whence they have been dispersed. Yea, as the Lord liveth, so shall it be. Amen. Third Nephi, Chapter 6 it must have been a glorious season of homecoming as the Nephites once more returned to their respective homes and the cities where they had previously lived. They also brought back their flocks and whatever wealth they had. All this took place in 26 A.D. and applied to those who had migrated from both the land southward and the land northward. And now it came to pass that the people of the Nephites did all return to their own lands in the twenty and sixth year, every man with his family, his flocks and his herds, his horses and his cattle, and all things whatsoever did belong unto them. And it came to pass that they had not eaten up all their provisions. Therefore they did take with them all that they had not devoured of all their grain of every kind, and their gold and their silver, and all their precious things, and they did return to their own lands and their possessions, both on the north and on the south, both on the land northward and on the land southward. 
The opportunity for the people to live in prosperity and peace was unlimited so long as they obeyed the commandments of God and remained righteous. And they granted unto those robbers who had entered into a covenant to keep the peace of the land who were desirous to remain Lamanites, lands according to their numbers, that they might have with their labors wherewith to subsist upon. And thus they did establish peace in all the land. And they began again to prosper and to wax great. And the twenty and sixth and seventh years passed away, and there was great order in the land, and they had formed their laws according to equity and justice. And now there was nothing in all the land to hinder the people from prospering continually, except they should fall into transgression. And now it was Gidgadoni and the judge Laconius and those who had been appointed leaders who had established this great peace in the land. And it came to pass that there were many cities built anew, and there were many old cities repaired, and there were many highways cast up, and many roads made which led from city to city and from land to land and from place to place. Certainly Gidgadoni and the chief judge Laconius deserved high praise for saving the Nephites and generously treating the survivors of the enemy forces. The reconstruction of the roads and cities must have been tremendous, but by 29 B.C. the traditional weakness of the people began to manifest itself. It seems as though these people had built a prosperous and highly developed society almost overnight, but the rise of prosperity was fatal to them. And thus passed away the twenty and eighth year, and the people had continual peace. But it came to pass in the twenty and ninth year, there began to be some disputings among the people, and some were lifted up unto pride and boastings because of their exceeding great riches, yea, even unto great persecutions. For there were many merchants in the land, and also many lawyers and many officers. And the people began to be distinguished by ranks, according to their riches and their chances for learning. Yea, some were ignorant because of their poverty, and others did receive great learning because of their riches. It is interesting how the natural inclinations of the people seem to clearly manifest themselves as they divided into the humble righteous and the haughty backsliders. Some were lifted up in pride, and others were exceedingly humble. Some did return railing for railing, while others would receive railing and persecution and all manner of afflictions, and would not turn and revile again, but were humble and penitent before God. It is interesting that over in Jerusalem, just as Jesus was being baptized and getting ready to launch his ministry at the age of 30, the church among the Nephites was crumbling to pieces. The exception was the Lamanite converts, who were determined to keep the commandments of God regardless of what happened to the rest of the people. And thus there became a great inequality in all the land, insomuch that the church began to be broken up. Yea, insomuch that in the thirtieth year the church was broken up in all the land, save it were among a few of the Lamanites who were converted unto the true faith. And they would not depart from it, for they were firm and steadfast and immovable. 
willing with all diligence to keep the commandments of the Lord. Mormon the historian reflected painfully on the cause of all the wickedness which had begun to prevail among the people. Now the cause of this iniquity of the people was this. Satan had great power. Unto the stirring up of the people to do all manner of iniquity, and to the puffing them up with pride, tempting them to seek for power and authority and riches and the vain things of the world. And thus Satan did lead away the hearts of the people to do all manner of iniquity. Therefore they had enjoyed peace but a few years. And thus in the commencement of the thirtieth year, the people having been delivered up for the space of a long time to be carried about by the temptations of the devil, whithersoever he desired to carry them, and to do whatsoever iniquity he desired they should. And thus, in the commencement of this, the thirtieth year, they were in a state of awful wickedness. Now they did not sin ignorantly, for they knew the will of God concerning them. For it had been taught unto them, therefore they did willfully rebel against God. Two important developments occurred in this thirtieth year. The great chief judge Lacunius was replaced by his son, and secondly, a whole colony of prophets suddenly appeared among the people and described in the most vivid language the great destruction which was coming to America very shortly if they did not repent. Now it was in the days of Laconius, the son of Laconius, for Laconius did fill the seat of his father and did govern the people that year. And there began to be men inspired from heaven and sent forth, standing among the people in all the land, preaching and testifying boldly of the sins and iniquities of the people, and testifying unto them concerning the redemption which the Lord would make for his people, or in other words, the resurrection of Christ, and they did testify boldly of his death and sufferings. Those who resented these prophets and their message of warning were primarily judges and lawyers in the outskirts, and they began secretly killing these prophets in direct violation of the law. Now there were many of the people who were exceeding angry because of those who testified of these things, and those who were angry were chiefly the chief judges, and they who had been high priests and lawyers, yea, all those who were lawyers were angry with those who testified of these things. Now there was no lawyer, nor judge, nor high priest that could have power to condemn anyone to death, save their condemnation was signed by the governor of the land. Now there were many of those who testified of the things pertaining to Christ, who testified boldly, who were taken and put to death secretly by the judges, that the knowledge of their death came not unto the governor of the land until after their death. Now behold, this was contrary to the laws of the land, that any man should be put to death except they had power from the governor of the land. The chief judge finally heard about it in Zarahemla, and these wicked rural judges began to be hauled up before Laconius II. Therefore a complaint came up unto the land of Zarahemla, to the governor of the land, against these judges, who had condemned the prophets of the Lord unto death, not according to the law. These judges had committed capital crimes, and their relatives began to combine together in their defense. 
Now it came to pass that they were taken and brought up before the judge to be judged of the crime which they had done, according to the law which had been given by the people. Now it came to pass that those judges had many friends and kindreds, and the remainder, yea, even almost all the lawyers and the high priests, did gather themselves together and unite with the kindreds of those judges who were to be tried according to the law. This was all it took to lay the foundation for another secret society or secret combination among the Nephites. And they did enter into a covenant, one with another. Yea, even into that covenant which was given by them of old, which covenant was given and administered by the devil to combine against all righteousness. Therefore they did combine against the people of the Lord and enter into a covenant to destroy them and to deliver those who were guilty of murder from the grasp of justice, which was about to be administered according to the law. The worst part about this new combination was the fact that it was organized into a national insurrection to set up a king. And they did set at defiance the law and the rights of their country. And they did covenant one with another to destroy the governor and to establish a king over the land, that the land should no more be at liberty, but should be subject unto kings. Third Nephi chapter 7. The amazing thing about this chapter is that the murder of one man resulted in the downfall of a whole civilization. The murder was committed by the secret band who were relatives of those who had executed the prophets of God. Now behold, I will show unto you that they did not establish a king over the land, but in this same year, yea, the thirtieth year, they did destroy upon the judgment seat, yea, did murder the chief judge of the land. And the people were divided one against another, and they did separate one from another into tribes, every man according to his family and his kindred and friends. And thus they did destroy the government of the land. The Nephite civilization was so fragile that the murder of Laconius II was enough to frighten the people into seeking out their relatives and dividing the whole nation into clans and kindreds of friends. So what started out as a conspiracy to set up a king resulted in the fragmenting of the entire Nephite people. And every tribe did appoint a chief or a leader over them, and thus they became tribes and leaders of tribes. Now behold, there was no man among them, save he had much family and many kindreds and friends. Therefore their tribes became exceeding great. Now all this was done, and there were no wars as yet among them. And all this iniquity had come upon the people, because they did yield themselves unto the power of Satan. It was amazing that after a century of judges under King Mosiah's inspired constitution, the Nephites had degenerated into a primitive tribal society. And the regulations of the government were destroyed because of the secret combination of the friends and kindreds of those who murdered the prophets. And they did cause a great contention in the land, insomuch that the more righteous part of the people had nearly all become wicked, Yea, there were but few righteous men among them. And thus six years had not passed away 
since the more part of the people had turned from their righteousness, like the dog to his vomit, or like the sow to her wallowing in the mire. It is plain that Mormon, as a historian, was totally disgusted with this new turn of events which revolted him to the center of his soul. But the secret combination that had murdered Laconius II was now determined to set up a king. The man they chose was named Jacob, one of the foremost in persecuting the prophets. Now this secret combination, which had brought so great iniquity upon the people, did gather themselves together, and did place at their head a man whom they did call Jacob. And they did call him their king. Therefore he became a king over this wicked band. And he was one of the chiefest who had given his voice against the prophets who testified of Jesus. And it came to pass that they were not so strong in number as the tribes of the people, who were united together, save it were their leaders did establish their laws every one according to his tribe. Nevertheless, they were enemies. Notwithstanding, they were not a righteous people. Yet they were united in the hatred of those who had entered into a covenant to destroy the government. Jacob saw that the various tribes were independent and determined not to let Jacob become the king over the whole nation. Jacob therefore decided to flee to the land northward. There he planned to rally dissenters to him through flattery until he could conquer the rest of the Nephites. Therefore Jacob, seeing that their enemies were more numerous than they, he being the king of the band, therefore he commanded his people that they should take their flight into the northernmost part of the land, and there build up unto themselves a kingdom until they were joined by dissenters. For he flattered them that there would be many dissenters and they become sufficiently strong to contend with the tribes of the people. And they did so. And so speedy was their march, that it could not be impeded until they had gone forth out of the reach of the people. And thus ended the thirtieth year, and thus were the affairs of the people of Nephi. Meanwhile the tribes agreed not to attack one another so they could have peace among themselves. Nevertheless, they did not repent in any sense of the word, but stoned the prophets and drove them out from among them. And it came to pass in the thirty and first year that they were divided into tribes, every man according to his family, kindred, and friends. Nevertheless, they had come to an agreement that they would not go to war one with another. But they were not united as to their laws and their manner of government. For they were established according to the minds of those who were their chiefs and their leaders. But they did establish very strict laws that one tribe should not trespass against another, insomuch that in some degree they had peace in the land. Nevertheless their hearts were turned from the Lord their God, and they did stone the prophets and did cast them out from among them. All of this was abhorrent to Nephi, the ordained spiritual leader of the people. But he was visited by angels and was told that the ministry of Christ among the Jews was already in progress. And it came to pass that Nephi, having been visited by angels and also the voice of the Lord, therefore having seen angels and being eyewitness, and having had power given unto him that he might know concerning the ministry of Christ, and also being eyewitness to their quick return from righteousness unto their wickedness and abominations. 
Nephi was so imbued with the Spirit of the Lord that he began preaching powerful sermons among the people. Nephi's teachings were so impressive to Mormon that he wanted to record them all, but felt a partial presentation would not do them justice, and so he elected not to present any of them. Therefore, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds, went forth among them in that same year, and began to testify boldly, Repentance and remission of sins through faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did minister many things unto them, and all of them cannot be written, and a part of them would not suffice. Therefore they are not written in this book. And Nephi did minister with power and with great authority. As Nephi went among the people performing miracles and preaching powerful sermons of repentance, it had little effect except to provoke the wicked into stoning to death his brother Timothy. But Nephi raised his brother from the dead, and angels continued to minister to Nephi daily. And it came to pass that they were angry with him, even because he had greater power than they. For it were not possible that they could disbelieve his words. For so great was his faith on the Lord Jesus Christ that angels did minister unto him daily. And in the name of Jesus did he cast out devils and unclean spirits. And even his brother did he raise from the dead after he had been stoned and suffered death by the people. And the people saw it and did witness of it and were angry with him because of his power. And he did also do many more miracles in the sight of the people in the name of Jesus. Thus the year 31 A.D. did pass away, and Nephi converted only a few. Nevertheless, those who were converted bore strong testimonies, and some of them performed miracles themselves. And it came to pass that the thirty and first year did pass away, and there were but few who were converted unto the Lord. But as many as were converted did truly signify unto the people that they had been visited by the power and Spirit of God, which was in Jesus Christ in whom they believed. And as many as had devils cast out from them, and were healed of their sicknesses and infirmities, did truly manifest unto the people that they had been wrought upon by the Spirit of God, and had been healed. And they did show forth signs also, and did, do, did some miracles among the people. And thus conditions continued with little change all the way into the thirty-third year. Then the number of converts greatly increased during the thirty-third year, and not only were they baptized, but some of them were ordained to help in the missionary work. Thus passed away the thirty-and-second year also. And Nephi did cry unto the people in the commencement of the thirty and third year, and he did preach unto them repentance and remission of sins. Now I would have you to remember also that there were none who were brought unto repentance who were not baptized with water. Therefore there were ordained of Nephi men unto this ministry, that all such as should come unto them should be baptized with water. And this as a witness and a testimony before God and unto the people, that they had repented and received a remission of their sins. And there were many in the commencement of this year that were baptized unto repentance, and thus the more part of the year did pass away.
If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lecture recordings while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.